right into the temple, one of the buildings that was designed to house uh, incense and, and offerings and stuff like that. Right in the temple, the enemy moves in and takes up residence. What in the world is that about? That, that, I'm just referring to that as hidden sin. So here it comes after a while. The next few verses say that uh, Nehemiah had been gone and he comes back the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, blah, blah, blah. And in verse 8, when Nehemiah saw that Tobiah, the, the bad guy, was in the temple, he says, it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I love this, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. <laughs> then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God. This verses 8 and 9 there. So here's Nehemiah. This guy is a take charge, get it done, let's not mess around kind of a guy. And I kind of feel that principally what he's doing way back in the Old Testament is really the way we ought to look at things in our lives that are not supposed to be there. Stuff that we've maybe just allowed to fester or we've given a place in our heart, in our life. Maybe we can rationalize. It's not that bad. Everybody else does it. It's not a big deal. God understands me. When in fact, the way to deal with this, if we want that closer relationship with Jesus, is to throw it out, to cleanse it. And to put it back to its, our, our lives, back to their original purpose in Christ, which is not to harbor sin and be secret about it. But that's exactly what Nehemiah does. i got to tell you, sin loves to be ignored. It loves, it, it burrows into our lives, sometimes without us even being fully aware of really the gravity of the situation. And it likes to hide. It hates to be exposed. It doesn't want anyone to point a finger and say, that's not right. And boy, we don't want to be told that's not right. We want it just to, to, to hide there. In my lifetime, I, the explosion of pornography in our country is just mind-boggling. The amount of dollars and the amount of people, young men, men that are affected by it. I lived overseas in Europe for four years where it seemed like it was on a whole nother plane. But now... Men in the church, a large percentage of them struggle with something that they'd like to keep secret. They're not proud of it, but it's in here, and, and if they can just keep it secret, it's okay. It seems to be okay. Nobody knows. I'm all right. It's not affecting anything. No, no victims here. That's wrong. Any sin, any sin that we hide dampens our relationship with Jesus. It anesthetizes our, our joy. Our, our, our desire to get closer to our passion for the things of the Lord, time in His Word, praying, praying, oh, so boring. Sin kills our motivation to follow Jesus. And so here's Nehemiah, here's Tobiah, and they get rid of him. Cleanse the room. What I don't see is a conversation with the guy. I just see his furniture tossed out in the yard somewhere. What a great way to deal with sin. Face it. Condemn it. Get rid of it. And that's what Nehemiah does first and foremost here. It's not about legalism. It's not about rules. It's about do you want to follow Jesus? And, and Nehemiah just, it's not hurt feelings. It's not, well, I don't like confrontation. Sometimes sin just has to be dealt with. Now, I'm not talking about go find someone else and confront their sin. <laughs> that can really make your Christmas. I'm talking about our own individual lives. Here's the second one, fooling around with finances. As you move down to verse 10, 
Nehemiahites also realized that the portions for the Levites hadn't been, they weren't getting paid. For, and, and at this point, since they weren't getting paid, they just went off to do other jobs. So it says in verse 11, so uh, I contended with the rulers, and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together, and I set them in their place. It, it basically, whenever it's finances, it, we're talking about selfishness. Now, Israel had a whole system of taxation. They had actually three different tithes. Two of them were annual. One of them was every three years, so that actually what they paid in taxes or to the temple was about 23% of their income. Well, if it's not being enforced and no one's paying attention, what's the easiest thing not to do? Uh, you know, they, they seem to be fine. The temple's okay. It's not a problem. But our economy and my personal needs and what I need. And the easiest thing to do is be stingy with God. A God who has given us everything we need. A God who has given us eternal hope through Jesus Christ. A God who is preparing a place for us that we will spend eternity in. A God that has forgiven us all of our sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And what do we do as hum humans? We have a tendency, a propensity to move in the direction of stingy, close-fistedness toward God. Stingy with God. One of the clearest indicators, perhaps, of our relationship with him and where we are is how open-handed we are with our things, with our resources, with our time. Yeah, with our ability, with our talent. Are we willing to... Be generous. I, I love the angel tree program and other things at Christmas that give us, again, the opportunity to share with others that have needs. That's, you know, we're to be imitators of God. God who gave. He so loved the world, he gave. And he gives, and he gives. Anyway, there they are, stingy with God. I set them in their place. I love that. Here's the, here's the third one. Wallowing in rationalization. This starts in verse 15 here. In verse 15, Nehemiah says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and, and, and bringing sheaves and loading donkeys with wine and grapes and all that, 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 on the Sabbath. Now again, Old Testament, don't, don't get caught in the, in the rules here. The Ten Commandments, boom, one of them is, remember, the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath holy. I know it's still a discussion in some places today in the New Testament, but I don't think we pull the Old Testament into the New. Paul wrote, you don't consider one day more holy than another. If so, you're being cheated of the freedom you have in Christ. It's not about what day. But in the Old Testament, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. The principle is time for God here. We're in the Old Testament here. They were ignoring the Sabbath. They were rationalizing. So what does it say here? Nehemiah says, And I warned them about the day in which they were selling provisions. And then, number two, I contended with the nobles of Judah. And I said to them, What evil thing is this that you do? So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to get dark before the Sabbath. And their Sabbath started right at sunset the day before, that I commanded the gates to be shut. I charged that they must not be opened until after the Sabbath. He literally slammed the door on what they were doing. 
and what they rationalized was not that big a deal. I mean, why we've got an economy to go, oh, we all have personal uh, income needs. Why, we, why is it such a big deal? Why is it? Because God was so clear with them about the Sabbath and they were rationalizing their way and just sliding into the cultures that surrounded them. And Nehemiah just said, boom, that's not happening. And so all the, the, the people that shouldn't have been there uh, in the courtyard, nope, they read the word of God. They got rid of that. The, uh, the hidden sin, Tobias, in the closet, get rid of it, get rid of him. The finances, why aren't you keeping up? He put them in their place and, and uh, slammed the door on the rationalization regarding the Sabbath. Uh, and it, I got to tell you, isn't it easy just to kind of go with our culture? And we're always challenged as believers to try to determine, okay, what, what really is okay in our culture? Because there's things in our culture. It's fine. We, obviously, we want to we live in the time period we're living in. But there are other things that just seem to slowly marinate the way we think. And the more time we are in the culture without dealing with, is this what God would have for me? The easier it is just to go with the flow. Just go with the flow. It'll be okay. No problem. No biggie. Which is why I love Nehemiah in this chapter. Slams the door. Boom. That's not right. He had the courage. He had the courage to face the issues of his day. And he just did so in chapter 13 in machine gun style. So easy to go with the flow. Here's the last one. Fading out the faith. Fading out the faith. And this one, we talk about coming across into, into our day. In verse 23... He says, okay, in those days, and this is, by the way, this is the most extreme as well. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Okay. Wait a minute, we're going we're to talk about interracial marriage? Well, that's what he's talking about here. Now, remember, I think it's important to remember here, Old Testament, New Testament. I have absolutely no problem. I don't think God does either with, with ethnically diverse marriages. I think it's, it's cool. It's, it's beautiful. But in the Old Testament... God, in protecting the identity of his people, had pretty clear instructions about that, and they were just letting it go. In fact, it says here, half of their children, verse 24, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod. They couldn't speak the language of Judah, but they spoke accordingly to the language of one of the other people. What? So what was happening? The Jewish culture and with it, the Jewish faith was fading out because Families, parents, for like, oh, no biggie, no biggie. Uh, you know, if they want to learn to speak Hebrew, if they want to learn, you know, about uh, Yahweh and the God, that's, you know, whatever. And their faith was fading out. A lost language, a lost culture, a lost faith. And look at this over-the-top reaction. This is, this is the most amazing part of the chapter here. What does he do? Good Christian guy, Nehemiah, wonderful person. Here's what he does. So I contended with them and cursed them. Whoa, whoa. That's, that's, that's what it says. Another word might be he dishonored them, struck some of them. What? Pulled out their hair. 
and made them swear by God, saying, you'll never give your daughters as wives to their sons or take daughters for your sons or yourselves. Didn't Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him that was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Wow, wow, hair-pulling! Wouldn't you love to be at a church service where that took place? I don't think so. But again, this was the passion of Nehemiah to deal with the issues of his day. Those are not the issues of our day. But that's not the point. The point is the incredible directness with which Nehemiah dealt with the issues. And I just want to say I wonder if we would have the courage to deal with the stuff in our own lives with any measure of what Nehemiah dealt with in his day. That's ferocious obedience, fierce obedience. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. I love that quote and a lot of other things he said. But I think it probably could be applied to faith as well. The faith of our families and of our kids is never more than one generation away from extinction. And if you know the numbers in America, you know that there's just way too many of our young people to grow up in church, leave home, walk away from their faith. What is that about? That's fading faith. Well, why does it happen? Oh, there can be a number of reasons. Starts at home. Starts with mom and dad. Every time I hear parents when you ask them about their children and are they getting, you know, are, are, are they growing up in Jesus? Are you bringing them to church? Well, we, we don't want to force our kids to do anything regarding their faith. We want them to make that decision. If that's how you've been raising your kids, I, I in no way mean to insult you. I'm not going to pull your hair or slap you. I'm just going to say, please don't do that. You've been given a responsibility as mom and dad to lead your children. And that certainly includes their faith as youngsters as they come in. You shape what they believe. You shape how they act, their their whole uh, uh, relationship to authority. You, You shape it. Do not shirk that responsibility by saying, we just want to let them decide. Because they will grow up very fast and all too soon they will decide. And they will decide based on the foundation you've laid in their lives. Primarily mom and dad, the church comes alongside and helps and does everything it can. So glad to hear you've hired a new youth pastor. And children's workers here, I hear good things. Fading out faith. And Nehemiah jumped right on it. (laughs) Unbelievably. I mean, I... I don't think today probably the way that he approached the problem is going to convince anybody. It's just going to make a lot of people mad and uh, create lawsuits. We're not into hair pulling and slapping. But the attitude with which you face the issues, I love it. I I love it. Here's the word that I want you to walk away with this morning. When it comes to following Jesus, passivity is a mortal enemy. Passivity kills spirituality. Passivity 
clogs our filter and doesn't allow us to have that year where I'm growing closer to Jesus. Because sin tends to wash up against us and stick like scum. And if we just let it keep building up, we're not even aware of it. All of a sudden, we're scum buckets. Sorry, it's the first thing. We're, we're called to put off and to put on. We're called to deal with the issues in our lives as they arise. We're called not to let sin hide, but to deal with it. Because the power of sin has been broken at the cross. We are not slaves to sin. Nor do we need to follow it and just go down the pipeline of, well, this is just what it's like today. I've had the chance to do hundreds of weddings over the years. And uh, the changes in the last decades are, are marked. I mean, they're marked. When I was a young pastor, uh, couples would, would come from the church and they'd had that foundation laid and call them straight-laced, if you will, but they waited till marriage and, and it was great. Today, couples come and they're from believing homes and they're living together. They're cohabiting. And, and by the way, if that's you this morning, I'm not trying to blow you away or insult you or make you feel like something less than God would have you be. I'm just pointing out, maybe like Nehemiah, this is what God's Word says about that. And the question is, first three verses of chapter 13, are we going to look at God's Word and go, oh, that's what it says. It says the marriage bed is undefiled. Now we have a whole generation because we've been marinated in our culture that thinks differently. Like, oh, you're one of those old-fashioned pastors that thinks you're supposed to wait until marriage. I guess so. That's what the Word says. The question for us is, do you want to progress in your walk with Jesus? Because I think the way we do that is we face issues in our lives. We look with an unbiased filter at what's going on with us, what we've allowed to change our thinking. And we line it up with Scripture, not somebody's opinion, not a church's, you know, this is our rules. No, we line it up with Scripture, and we determine, am I going to obey the Word? Does it have authority in my life? Or am I just going to do what I'm going to do because everybody's doing it? Whoa! Be glad that Nehemiah is not here to talk to you. Or you might leave the room with less hair than you came in with. <laughs> Identifying the issues or the clogged filters that keep us from following Jesus is challenging and it's a little painful and it can be even embarrassing, but here's Nehemiah's formula. One, face it. Two, condemn it, if God's word condemns it. And three, change it. What? But I can't because, yes, you can. Following Jesus is following Jesus. It's an adventure. There's nothing more satisfying but passivity which has caused that to become a ho-hum life experience. Paul's letters again and again talk about putting off and putting on. I love it. It's, it's, it's the same thing Nehemiah is doing in New Testament language. 
Paul says it in all of his short epistles. Colossians is great. I love chapter 3. Let me, let me just, just follow as I read quickly. If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. Now, here we go. Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth. And now he starts down a list that most of us as Christians go, oh, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, put to death your members which are on fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, I'm sure not one person in the room has an anger issue here. Wrath, same thing. Malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Oh, boy. Don't lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds and you put on the new man who's renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone is a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or do all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Put off and put on. It's not passive. It's active. Put off this garbage, which so easily flows into our lives, begins to attach itself, hides itself somewhere in our lives, and we just feel we're fine. Put off and put on all that Jesus has for you and me. And that's how, that's how we walk in passion and excitement about the things that are eternal, about the things we cannot necessarily see now, but are eternal. Yeah, the older I get, the easier it is to think eternity. The younger I was, the more things mattered right now in the moment. Put off. Put on. What kind of year is it going to be? What kind of year has it been? I wonder if we take a minute right now. I wonder if the Holy Spirit would in any way just kind of bump you. These are just some quick areas that Nehemiah found coming back to Jerusalem. Whoa! He didn't spend one moment of passivity. He just went right after it. I wonder if God could help us be that aggressive with ourselves to the end that our love for him our commitment to him might deepen, might grow, might be the most exciting, important things in every one of our lives. Father, thanks for your word. It sometimes is gentle and refreshing. It sometimes smacks us. 
But either way, would you help us, as James said, not to simply be hearers of your word, but to be doers. If it's true, Father, in anyone that's here this morning, if there are issues to be faced, actions to be taken, I'd ask that even right now the Holy Spirit would just nudge us in, in the way that only the Holy Spirit can do. Father, it's not that we want to be rule followers, no. We want to be Jesus followers. And we don't want to let anything impede our getting close to him. So would you speak to us in the silence of this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, would you? Well, I hope you have a great week as we uh, head down the chute toward Christmas. Uh, for some, that means added stress. For most, that means just a lot of great memories and traditions. But it is a good, good time as we close out the year to think about our lives with Jesus. Are they where they need to be? Are you content? If Jesus were here to give you an evaluation, <laughs> he's not, thankfully. But if he was here to give you an evaluation, how'd that go today? He is so patient and so waiting and so desirous that we face the issues in our lives and move forward. And I pray that's our experience. If you want to pray with somebody after the service, we'll be right up here in front be happy to do that. You don't have to share your junk, you can just say, yeah, I think there might be an issue or any other prayer request. We'd be glad to just take it to the Lord with you. And for the rest of you, eat a lot of cookies and have a great week as we head toward Christmas. God bless you and thanks for being here this morning.